Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Rod. Hi, everybody. My name is Roz, and I'm a very grateful compulsive overeater. Hi, Roz. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, because I don't have my hearing aids on. They're broken, so I don't know. I don't want to talk too small, too big, whatever. And I also want to thank everybody for asking me and Gail. We were double booked, and Gail was so sweet to let me speak tonight. Thank you, Gail. I guess I'll start with just a little bit of my past, and who's timing? Okay, will you just give me, I don't want to stay in my past. I've done, I've done enough there. <laughs> so just give me like 10 minutes there. Okay, I was brought up in a, a really nice, dysfunctional Jewish home. Um, I was the eldest, I was the older one of my sister Gail. And um, I was jealous of her from the very start. I, I just couldn't do enough to be, to be loved. That's how I felt this not the truth now that I know, but Ty felt, and so uh, she was very sick, and I did everything to get in trouble. I remember riding my bike down the hill when she was when they brought her home from the hospital, and just hurting myself so bad, and and they had to run to me to take care of me, and that was the start of my rebellion and my defenselessness, and I just did all these things, and I was only three and a half. I did every single thing to get into trouble so I would be noticed. And I was not noticed in the right way. Um, just everything there was. I lied as a little girl. I made stories to be dramatic. I, I just, like, somebody tried to take me. I, I lit a fire. I burnt down my grandma, my grandparents, all their stuff from St. Louis. It was their 50-year anniversary. They had nothing left. And then when I went to make amends later, nobody believed I did. But I did. And um, all these things a child shouldn't feel like. And I, uh, even in my father's family, I was the eldest grandchild. And I had a grandfather who was very cruel, really cruel. And he didn't like me. And how do you like, like an eight-year-old? And the, so my feelings in my childhood were, I better go home real quick because they might not be there when I get there. Those were, that was what I heard them say, all of them. We're going to move away and you're never going to find us. So I had a lot of abandonment issues um, and a lot of issues like that. And today I want you to know that this is all my opinion and my story, okay? Today I'm a grown-up. When I got here I was eight years old emotionally. Um, so... I was abused sexually from the age of 12 to 15. Very cruel, very abusive, and I couldn't tell. Or I couldn't tell. And so I never told. And then, um, and then I, I met my husband, and I got pregnant, and we got married, and I was 17. And then I could eat anything I wanted. I didn't have to take dextrin pills at 10 like my mother made me. I, I didn't have to be on her little diet of this much of cottage cheese and a little teeny piece of fruit. 
I didn't have to go to school and uh, have no sandwiches. She never let us have a sandwich. We had just a piece of bologna wrapped up in a piece of wax paper. And we were never allowed to eat at family dinners or anything. We were like starved. But see, food is love for me. That's the way I was brought up. Because every time my mother had big parties, everybody got to have that great food except my sister and I. So I was brought up to think that that luscious desserts and that luscious but cool from Jewish and a luscious stuff was love. That was in my mind. And so I did everything I could to get it. Stole money, stole stuff, did everything to buy that food. So in my mind was a sick little puppy thinking food is love. Food versus love. Food is love. So I got married and had a baby and I got so heavy. Just taking him to the store and buying all the food I wanted to, which was dessert, and getting heavy. And um, my sister got married. So I was 17. She, she, my sister got married when she was 21, and I could not be in, in the wedding party. Absolutely, my mother said, you have to lose 100 pounds. I showed her I gained 100 pounds. Um, nothing. Uh, I just, and she had this freezer in the garage. And my younger sister, Denise, got the key made for all of us. And that freezer had <laughs> everything. She'd make cookies and she'd count how many. But she never went from the bottom like we did. And so every single time she yelled and screamed about me being fat, guess what I did? I ate. Oh my, I didn't know what I know now. And so I got sick. I was the one in the family that got sick. I got um, at 26 years old, I had my gallbladder out. I got diabetes at 24. I got, uh, and by the time I was 35, I was going to the diabetes doctor and pushing the scale down so he didn't know how much I had gained. He thought I lost. And he said, Rod, why are you, why is your blood sugar so bad when you're losing weight? You know what? I was a liar and a cheat. And I didn't want anyone to know how fat I was. But inside of me, I cried, and I was suffering, and I couldn't go out in public, and I couldn't get nice clothes, and I was wearing house dresses for old people, and I couldn't go to my kids' school functions, and I couldn't, certain people in my dad's family did not invite me to weddings and to engagement parties, because they were so ashamed of me and my family, let alone me being ashamed of me in public. I remember when standing on wheelchair and Westwood Boulevard, crossing the street to go to the movies, and a bunch of teenagers hanging out the window going, fat flawed, fat flawed, fat pig. And that's the truth. I was not allowed to sit in my mother's furniture, especially the little stools. <laughs> and um, I wasn't allowed to go to people's houses where they had furniture because I was the fat pig in the family. And then my younger sister gets married. I had another younger sister. She's 17 years younger than me. And I'm not allowed again to be in the wedding. I, I, I'm supposed to lose another 100 pounds. So that was the story. That was the history, okay? Now I'll tell you the best part of my life. Well, I was sick a lot. I, uh, got a heart, I had a heart attack at 41. A pretty bad heart attack. I had... Um, I had been to the doctor, 
and took an AKG because I walked around and couldn't breathe. Now, this doctor was famous for his diet pills, okay? He gave me diet pills and, um, and shots, and I had the heart attack, and he never looked. He never looked at the um, result of it. He didn't look. From 10 in the morning, he didn't look. At 5.30, he leaves a message for me at home, you know, and he says, you better get into the hospital. You've had a heart attack. And um, meanwhile, he was giving me all kinds of pills. I was an addict with pills. I'm talking about secondals, triavols, all the pills that were making me crazy on top of the eating and in between drinking. So he calls me that night. I, we get to, to, I think we were at um, Century Hospital. There was a hospital at Century. Uh-huh. And he comes in and he said, I'm getting my friend. We're doing a bad bypass on you. I said, I'm not going to do a bypass. He said, I'm going to throw you out of here, and you're not going to be my patient. And I said, go ahead, because I'm not doing a bypass. And he said, I'm not going to be your doctor. And anyway, somebody in my family who has a very big temper said to him, I'm going to report you for all the pills you gave my mother and all the things you did and not calling to say she had a heart attack and not getting out of the hospital. I was very sick. I was very sick in that hospital. And what did people do for me? They snuggled in candy and cookies. Here I am with a heart attack. And I ate it. So I get out of the hospital, and I plug along for it. That was 41 years old. At 51, my liver is completely diseased from the fat. I can hardly walk. I'm taking a giant... I'm taking the pills. I have them in my purse. I forgot. Pills. You know, the angina, the pills. Forgot. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, nitro pills. And um, I can barely walk, okay? So I get into Oreos Anonymous. I saw somebody in my family riding in front of me, have, having a happy face and all that, and it was the last straw for me. I couldn't do it anymore. I was dying, and I knew it. This time, this time, I wanted it. I had been to meetings for a whole year, and I would have got here sooner, but there was one woman there that came up to me and grabbed me and said, you're a hundred pounder, and I'm going to take you to every meeting with me. I'm going to pick you up. Well, I, I wasn't ready for that. And um, <laughs> to this day, she scares me. <laughs> Not really. Nobody scares me, really. Um, but I got there. And I stayed there, and I sat there and cried at every meeting. And I think I was the biggest person, and it was Daniel Freeman Hospital on a Tuesday night on um, May 26, 1987. And I cried my eyes out. And I couldn't walk up those stairs without the nitro. But the doctors, three of them said, you have six months to live. And they meant it. And one doctor said, there's worse things than dying. I said, what do you mean? He said, you are so out of control. I, diabetes was 700. I was an insulin shot. I could barely walk. He said, you end up with a stroke and be in a wheelchair, and then you won't be able to talk, and your body could go like this. Dad didn't want that. Then everybody knows I was fat in a wheelchair. I wasn't going to be this fat person in a wheelchair not being able to talk. So I had to quit alcohol. 
I had to quit the pork, the pills, the boot, and the food. I stayed in the house for two whole weeks without going to OA, thinking maybe I could do this myself. I couldn't. I put myself in a prison, picked up the phone, called my son, and said, okay, I'm ready. He said, I'm not going to take you and Dad the same night. That was smart. <laughs> and and then my life began. I was 51 years old. I had been eating since I was a little girl. And I couldn't stop eating. Even there's a picture of me going around. I stopped eating for like a year and a half. I'm diet, one piece of fruit a day and some kind of shots. Because I wanted to go to a wedding. Be thin. And I did it, and as soon as I ate, as soon as I baked cookies for my daughter, one cookie, I got to my highest weight. So, my motto was, I want to live before I die. I'll do anything. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Teach me the steps. Teach me the big book. Teach me the 12 and 12. Show me what to do. I had to give up the defiance. I had to give up my rebellion. I had to give up everything I was. I had to learn that I wasn't a piece of shit. I was a human being. I didn't know that. I couldn't talk for four months. Everyone that knows me from then, I walked around like this. I couldn't talk. My 30-day shift, everybody convinced me to go to Serenity Sunday. I stand up at Serenity Sunday saliva comes out of my mouth. I couldn't even talk. And someone's here now and saw me. And I couldn't talk because I was so ashamed of myself. It was the shame and the guilt and all the past things that people said to me and my family. You'll never be anything. You're not, you're not worthy. Wait till people get to know you. Then they're going to know the truth about you. And I believed it. All during school, all during my life. Wait till, my mother used to say, wait till they get to really know you. They're not going to want to be your friend. So I got in, I got somebody, I got somebody outside of the program who was 12 steps to help me to start to love Ross. To help me in the steps, in the book book, to help me find out that I was worthy, I was a human. And all the writing I did, the steps in this big book, and, and letting people help me for the first time in my life, I would say, no, thank you, because I wanted to help everybody else. Oh, you like me? Oh, here's my bracelet. <laughs> here's this. Take this. Take that. But that's what I did. I was a people pleaser. And I thought doing that was going to make people like me. I was so wrong. Because, see, I took care of my mother, my dad, my grandparents. My aunts, I did everything. I died for them. I took care of them because I wanted them to love me because I didn't love myself. And they said they didn't love me. So that's what I did for everybody. And, and that's why I kept eating and eating and eating to press down those feelings I had. How are we doing on time? Okay. I didn't know how to live. I didn't know. And my husband and I um, went on a cruise and all I did was binge. If I went on a vacation, all I did was binge. I kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier, heavier. And there was no more clothes. That was the largest size of Lane Bryant. And I would get, um, oh, here's a, 
there was a Varmitra in the family. My mother had broken her knee, was she blaming? And my father, mm-hmm. I got this beautiful black dress, I thought. <laughs> it was like black and then white, you know. I love black and white. And um, I tried it on for my father. He said, you look like the biggest, fattest penguin I ever saw. <laughs> See, now I can laugh at it. So I had to take a bath. And I walked into the bar mitzvah, and the band leader was wearing a dress. <laughs> I can't help laughing now. And my father said, see what you would have looked like? You would have looked like her. I thought she looked pretty cool. He said, you would have looked like a fat penguin. Now, you grow up with this, right? And here I am in my 40s at that time, and my dad said, you grew up with this over and over. And it's like being a Vietnam War vet. You're just, I do have post-traumatic stress syndrome. You grow up with this long enough, long enough, you really believe it. They could tell you, uh, you know, go in that corner and just remember you're nothing but a blimp. And you really start to believe all these things. Well, I had to go and undo it with the step. I had to learn I'm worthy. What's it, what does 11 step say? 11 step teaches me to love and be loved. To have God come, I learned, I went out of every meeting for the first six months. There is no God. I don't believe in God. Look what God did. All this stuff. So first it had to be the universe. And then it became God. How could I stop eating sugar? Nine months and no sugar and this weight pouring off of me? Uh-uh. It had to be God. It had to be God. And how can I eat the way I'm eating now and not eat these giant meals how come I'm not running to the food I had to let the food go and feel my feelings I had to go back to the beginning and find out what happened to me work through it and then discard it I had to be brave enough what God gave me to be brave enough to find out what happened and then work through it and discard it. Otherwise, I would be a victim and I wouldn't be here today. I would never have been able to do the work. It's the work. Yes, it's, it's supposed to be easy here, and it is if you do the work. If I don't do the work, I would, I would be dead. I wouldn't be here. Because I had to cry a lot. I had to grieve my childhood. I had to grieve the abuse. I had to grieve all of it. Then I had to forgive. My mother and father did the best they could. I look back into what my father went through and my mother and their childhood. My dad had to take a streetcar in the zero weather practically in Chicago when he was 10 years old, three streetcars, to get his tonsils out by himself. You know? And my mom, she went through so much. She was born very tiny. You know, forgiveness was the answer to all my prayers. I had to work it out in a way to accept everything and to let go and let God. It's saving my life on a daily basis. I write a lot. I mean, you should, I found a book in the garage 14 years ago. I said, you can't believe the book. It, it says, uh, my husband's wearing his green silk pajamas. Oh, my God. That, that my son bought for him in Spain. I, this is the story I made up. Because I live my fantasy, you know. We're living in a house that he built and beautiful jewels. I love reading the book now. But I wrote that 14 years ago in my little fantasy land. 
because that's how I got through my childhood. I took out um, all kinds of princess books out of the library in high school. I wrote. Today I write the truth. Today I write letters to God. He writes me down. I sponsor incredible people that are doing the deal. I won't find, Today I choose not to sponsor people who are not doing the deal because it's too hard for me. I won't, I, and I won't get stuck back into it like I did it a few years ago. But today, I miss my sponsor that I had. My, my other two sponsors. Today, I'm in touch with my old sponsor that I talk to almost every day. And I have a new one. But it's not the sponsor. It's the person willing to go to any length. I had to go to any length to get my recovery. I was so far down that I wasn't going to live. And if I hadn't done the deal, if I hadn't done those steps, I haven't made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. I made amends. Even in the program, my first year, I took, uh, I went to the market and I ate some pretzels. Okay? And when I told my sponsor, she said, you have to go back to the market, take those pretzels, put them in a bag, have them wait, and give them money. I said, but you don't understand. They know me there. She said, I do understand, but you're going to do it. So I went to Pavilions Market in Cobra City, and I got the pretzels. I didn't eat that much, but I got many more. I said, here you are. He goes, what are you doing? And I said, I want you to have these. He goes, no, you bought them. I go, you don't understand. I took them. I sold them. He said, so you're the pretzel thief we've been looking for. <laughs> Well, he, you know, I felt so good when I walked out of there. You know, I, I, uh, today I try to be honest in all my affairs. And if I make a mistake and make a mess, I make it up some other way. I give to charity. I do something different. Um, I do the best program I can. I ask God every morning to take away my character defects. I do a lot of that in the shower so I can watch him go down the drain. <laughs> and I uh, I love to laugh. I love to play. I love to be raw today. I finally have inside of me the person I always wanted to be. I don't want to be my sister. I wanted to be her all my life because she was perfect. And you know what? She's so good to me. But no one's perfect. I don't have the perfect food, the perfect day, the perfect everything. But it's perfect in God's way. My husband got sick when I moved 10 years ago. And I don't want to believe he got Parkinson's. I actually didn't want to take him to the doctor. And he fell at my daughter's house. And he has Parkinson's. And he, he's going to be almost six years. He hasn't lived with me. And we're married 57 years, 58 years. Don't you think I miss him terribly? I... The first year and a half, I cried all the time. I had to take, um, I had to buy animals to be in bed with me. Big stuffed rabbit, a big dog, <laughs> all of it. I miss him. He, we grew up together. And, um, boy, it's hard, you know. And um, and then, okay, two and a half years ago, I had a lot of accidents where I almost died. God save me. Two and a half years ago, I'm on my way to a meeting in L.A. to speak. I have to pick up my girlfriend and my cell phone. And I'm telling you all about cell phones. My cell phone fell on the floor. I went to pick it up and I crashed into a car. Mm -hmm. uh, all my fault. And uh, I was out. 
And the next thing I knew, they were prying me out of the car. And I, and I hear them saying, we're losing her, we're losing her, we're losing her. And they could not, put, they could not do, because of the, because of my pacemakers, they couldn't do it, whatever they do. They couldn't put you in an MRI. And after I was in the hospital, they sent me to the same home, my husband's. I broke my leg in a bunch of places, eight ribs, and I had blood clots, and the car took all the skin off from here to here. I was a mess. And they didn't even know if I was going to live. And um, But I remembered that when it happened, I was in a white place. White. Breathing white. And I was four years old. I have a picture of me with little curls all over me. My mother made curls. I was standing there, frightened and shivering. And I hear a voice. Rosalind. That's where my mother said my name. Don't come this way. Go back. Go turn around. It's not time for you. Turn around. It makes me shiver. And this is the truth, so help me God. Go back. Turn around. And I turned around. And I went back. And when I woke up, I was in the ambulance. And um, about... And I learned to walk. Roy said, you're walking. <laughs> Roy says, walk. I turned around. I was in the hospital, very, very ill. And a lot of you came out there. And one guy in particular came out with an iPod filled with speakers. And it was my friend in OA that cleaned up the potty chair, brought me meals, <laughs> gave me showers, washed me up. Where do you find this? <laughs> Where do you find this? You guys tell me. Because, see, you loved me until I loved myself and I despised myself. So, you taught me something I never learned. I thought I was supposed to give, 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 and maybe you loved me. And I learned, no, you give freely and slowly. You give. And God gives you back. Can you imagine? People emptying the potty chair because I couldn't get to the bathroom. People washing me up, coming from L.A., bringing me an iPod with all the speakers out here, having a party for me on my birthday in the home, and my husband crying because he didn't give me enough pain medication. This is God's place. This is Overeaters Anonymous. Yes, it's about food in the beginning. But once we've got that down, it's a spiritual program. It's a healing of emotions and feelings. And I don't have to diet. I don't diet. You know what? There's a lot of people that do this diet, black and white. I don't. I did in the beginning and got anorexic. I was 50 pounds or 60 pounds thinner than I am. I kept breaking my bones. I was a nutcase. I was a nutcase. I eat. My food that I like, I don't eat sugar. I very rarely eat white flour, but sometimes I do. I have a potato. I do. This is not about the food anymore after 23 years. It's about God. It's about God. It's about me praying, meditating, and asking God's help in every area of my life. I'm going through something now that's so hard, dealing with a lot of paperwork and with, with 
a lot of stuff. And um, and all I have to do is do the footwork, which is which I'm doing, and then do this paperwork and leave the results to God. And there's somebody in this room who's such an angel, two people that are helping me. You never have to be alone here. Never have to be alone. I've never had friends like this. You are my family. You're my family. And there's certain people in my family who don't even talk to my husband and I, who don't even go see their, him, who's so ill. And that's what I've learned here. I've learned that I'm a human being, that I can walk with you all. I've learned to be humble to the ground. I'm not any better than you guys or any worse. I used to think, when I first got here and someone said, oh, I like you, I couldn't take it. And so my, my therapist said, you have to say thank you and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the idea that somebody would like me, when I thought when I didn't like myself, I couldn't even believe it. What I want to say to all of you is that if I can do this, anybody could. Because I swear, I, I thought I was retarded or something. <laughs> You know, I have, the pictures are going around, I have those three little grandchildren that my husband, did you see them? Yeah. Okay. My husband and I helped raise them for the first ten years before, when my daughter, till my husband got sick. We took care of them. She never had a babysitter. From the time those babies were born, they adored my husband and me. They would sit at the window and go, oh, grandma's home, papa's home. And this week, now they're 15 and a half, 12 and a half, and 10 and a half. This week they spent four days with me. And I don't have a car. My friends drove us to the mall, drove us to the movies, drove us to dinner. That's the kind of God squad I have. Who would ever do that? I had such a good time with them, even though they, oh, they were fighting. They had the little one on the ground. I said, leave her alone, leave her alone. Oh, Grandma, you don't understand. We're sisters. This is what sisters do. I said, not at my house. Not when she's crying. But she's a baby. You have to understand that. She's not. She's 12 and a half going on 20. I said, you can't do this. You can't do this at Grandma's house. These children, uh, every night she would undo my bed. And every day I'd wake up with an extra blanket. And then she did my makeup. She is, every, each of these children are special. The older one, she's 15 and a half. She is um, on her guard with her, with her, uh, she, with the, with the teen. She, uh, she plays flute. The, the other two are absolutely fabulous uh, ball players. They have every trophy. And they all get A pluses. It's not the A plus, except the older one. <laughs> but uh, it's not that it's how they act how they are with my husband and me how they love us because see those girls are the promises come true they are the promises come true for me because I can be everything to them that I wasn't maybe the right kind of mom when their mom was young even though my daughter says to me mom I don't know why you say that because no matter how I was and how crazy I acted and stuff, you always loved me no matter what. You were always there for me no matter what. When I came home, if I had done something not okay, you were still there for me to be supportive. And that is a statement of its own. No matter what, my husband 
got a lot of problems, but everyone has problems. Everyone. I have a beautiful life no matter what. I wouldn't trade one day of what's going on today for one day where I could go on a trip and eat all that food and a boat you know, with the sculpture um, ice. You know, the shrimps and that stuff. <laughs> today, my food, in fact, I have put on weight now. I'm like, small size I've been in years. And I don't care about the size. It's what's here. It's what's my heart and my soul. And every day I ask God, please, God, help me to fill my heart up with love, compassion, empathy, and to help others and to have no judgment. Because I've been around a lot of people lately that have a lot of judgment. And they're a lot in Orange County. <laughs> and uh, I hate to say that. Because last week I went to a wedding of a girl I like. And somebody sat down next to me. And I'm not going to say his name. I'm not going to say what he said. But I wanted to hit him. <laughs> and I've never wanted to hit anybody. In a lot of years, in 23 years. And so my, spon- my sponsor this morning says, you know, you could have walked away. I went in the bathroom and prayed, but it didn't work. And uh, <laughs> everybody's entitled to their own opinions. You know what? I can't change anything, but I'm so happy I am. I'm so happy my friends are all wonderful, and I don't hear any judgment, and I don't want to ever judge another person. And I remember my sponsor, Kathy Pervoli, saying, you never judge another person until you walked into their moccasins or shoes, whatever. That's the Indian one. <laughs> and and uh, I was fat and fatter and fatter. People laughed at me. And so when someone says to me, you hang out with so many fat women, I reacted instead of walking away. I couldn't help it. That's me. And so, <laughs> you know what? I asked her if I was a man or a man. She said, no, you don't. So that was good. <laughs> and the ending of what I, what I want to say is that um, be careful what you say or who you say it to because you don't want to make an amends to some kind of a person not worthy of an amends. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Nikki, you're never going to win me alone with that one. That was really wonderful. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys have... We have time for... Uh, Questions and answers? Okay, I want to read this one thing. Do not fear what may happen tomorrow. The same loving God who cares for you today will care for you tomorrow and every day. Either he will shield you from suffering or he will give you unfailing strength to bear it. Be at peace then and put aside all anxious thoughts and imaginings by St. Francis. And you guys can copy it because this is what's held me together all these years. Thank you for asking me to share. Okay, okay, you, you asked me something first. Yeah, go ahead. Russ, thank you for sharing. Could you tell us a little more about how your um, relationship with your higher power evolved from whatever you did, however you grew up and still okay. now? It, it, it was amazing because I didn't believe in God and I, I wanted to quit away because all I heard was God. I ran to the car one night in my second year and my husband said, can't you... Promise me to stay here for one more month, and then I'll leave with you. Because <laughs> I, I believe that God did a lot of things to me. It wasn't God. 
And once I said that out loud, I began to work hard on my spirituality. If God saved my life, God took the obsession away. God put beautiful people in my life. And today I get to choose the people I want in my life. You know what I mean? I pray a lot. I meditate a lot. My coronary doctor, because I was having a lot of problems, he said to me, I want you to meditate. My sister said she does. He says, meditate more. That helps help. I don't I haven't had any pain since he told me that in my chest. That's what got me. Yeah. Rod, thank you for your share. Um, Rod, you shared about how members have kind of come into, stepped up when in the clutch when things have been in a crisis sort of mode. What is your relationship with uh, fellow members in your area outside of the context of meetings? Oh, um, I'm, I'm very close to the people I sponsor. And I'm very close to certain people that have been with me from the beginning and people I met in the last 10 years. And a few people, you know, lately, I have a really good relationship with my friends. They're really God-given friends. They're there for me no matter what. My husband's having this big birthday party. One of my friends is paying for most of the big food and everybody else is making food. Um, it's unbelievable. And, and they go to see him and bring him. I mean, one person bought him a TV set, honestly, because we only have the money. It's, it's unbelievable. I have never felt such love in my entire life. And my sister is very good. I mean, I have a lot of love. And it's not even a present. It's the presence of that person in my life. It's not a gift or anything. It's the presence of the person in my life. Like somebody sitting here tonight that took me out here and she has a lot of work to do. It's the presence of someone. It's not a present. It's not a gift. It's not money. There's nothing to buy. There's no money that would pay for a friend that's there for you, that doesn't hurt you, that loves you, and that you can help them. That's what it's about. Like Nikki, you. Uh, thank you for sharing how did you forgive your father? And could you give us some insight to that? My, my father, I was very terrified of him because he, he was very hard on me. He, how I forgave him was <clears throat> when he, towards the end of his life, my dad kept thanking me for everything I did. And um, I went to see him in the hospital. And I, had, I didn't have a nice jacket. And he told my mother, he goes, I want you to buy her a warm jacket. <laughs> and my mother said, well, what is Denise going to say? That's what he also And so, and then my dad said, I want Ross to have my car. If I live, I'm going to buy a smaller car. And I knew my dad loved me. And for the first time in 50, I, I, I wasn't in a way. So the first time in 50 years, my father said, I love you. And I loved my father. I never felt he loved me. But he didn't know how to show it. He was from the old school. And he had this little girl that came real white in life. And uh, he treated her different. You know, because he didn't know what to do with her. She was wild, wild child. And so he made up excuses. He kept finding her cars when she crashed. But that doesn't mean love, you know. So I could really easily forgive him. I think my father wasn't a sexual abuser person I had a problem with was my uncle. He took away so much of my 
my life. And I found out that you don't have to forgive. You can just let go and let God take care of you. And I read that, and that's what I've done with my uncle. He's ruined so many lives, but I'm not giving him my power. I faced him, and I let him go to God. He died a terrible death, but I'm not, I don't have to say I forgive him. Because he took away. He took away my life. He took away um, my sexuality. He took away everything for me. So I can let him go to God. I don't hate him. I don't have to forgive. And I learned it right here in the program. I learned it from a lot of people, spiritual people. Because I do a lot of work spiritually. And that's okay. And my, you know, my aunt, he said, I don't know why you're mad at me. He did. (laughs) That was my mom's sister. I have to let go. I wouldn't be able to live. No. I'm sorry there's no more time for sharing and I want to thank all of you for having me and this is big. I actually I've loved it being here I love this place I love all of so many of you I love for so many years thank you